0: وقال الحق بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وكذلك جعلناكم أُمَّةً وسطا شهداء على الناس صدق الله العلي العظيم اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم A discussion on social justice has been our ongoing topic tonight is lecture number seven. Our discussion now that's almost one week old has been revolving around this massive topic of social justice. And in our discussions that we had as a preliminary basis in the first opening night of the Ashra, we established a few realities together. One of them of course is that we belong to a collective social fabric and social system. All of our actions, some of our actions, <laughs> they actually affect a society at large. And inshallah, in, you know, in a few nights, when we look at some of the barriers of, of justice, one of them, of course, is far the girayi, what's called individualism. We'll discuss that in a couple of nights, not tonight. <clears throat> From there, we moved on to a discussion on evil, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot um, commit an, an unjust act. And then that took a turn where now we became a, a little bit more practical. And two nights ago, we spoke about the idea of individual justice. Because, you know, this discussion now is that, you know, we're, we won't be able to Accomplish the sense of social justice until we accomplish or at least tackle the issue of individual justice and search inside of us to find out that all of these different types of people that I am, you know, shouting out against and protesting against and posting against, do I have a glimpse of that individual that I myself don't agree with inside of me? Is there a racist inside of me? Is there a bigot inside of me? Is there an elitist inside of me? Is there a Pharaoh inside of me? And if so, then that has to be tackled, has to be addressed. And that's why of all the various subtopics to, 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 to choose from from this massive topic of social justice, I chose, and it was a very conscious decision, to talk about individual justice. And the first place I started was with ourselves We have to learn to be just with ourselves We have to learn to not do zulm against ourselves Let me remind all of you and myself We define zulm to be that process where we travel outside the had and the hudud And the limits of anything, any shay, any existence when we expect more from an individual or we end up, you know, traveling outside the limits of that individual, we've done injustice on that individual, be it ourselves or be it those around us. Right, as, 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 as the Quran openly says, you know, كُنُوا قوامين ولو أنفسكم. Even if that injustice is against yourself, rise up against it. Speak out against it. Don't settle for that injustice you do for yourself. Be the a lack of self-love, self-care, self-forgiveness, all of that. That was two nights ago. Last night we talked about the injustice that we do <clears throat> to those around us, to those in front of us. You know, one of the ways that we can truly kind of measure, not one of the ways, one of the many ways we can measure the idea of the injustice that we do inside of us is, to look at our behavior when it comes to those people that we can do injustice to, okay? There are some people who, you know, they have more authority than us, they're higher than us, okay? We're not able to, even if we wanted to, we're not able to do injustice onto them. They control my faith, they control my paycheck. But there are groups of people inside of our life, inside of our family, that we can, if we wanted to, do injustice with. And the measure of the Pharaoh inside of me is to see how am I with these individuals who possibly could be the Egypt to my Pharaoh, or the Bani Israel to my firon. And if I end up ex- uh, you know, exercising that injustice on the people who quote unquote are the victims of my injustice, that I need to check the Pharaoh inside of me. And that was all about yesterday. We spoke about children and maintaining and, up, uh, and, and, and protecting the dignity of the children. Now the feedback that I got from yesterday specifically, heart-warming, heartwarming, very, very touching. You know, there are some of you who reached out to me over, you know, through, to, to me directly through my family. Some of you phoned me, emailed me. And you really kind of let me into your little world there were, there were individuals that would tell me stories about their parents instantly coming to them and apologizing, and you know attending to wounds that have, that have been there inside of them for many many years and starting the healing process these are days of healing my brothers and my sisters these are days of healing, and we're all wounded. If we don't get that proper healing from the majlis of Aba Abdullah al Hussein, then me as the speaker sitting on this minbar have done all of you, the listeners, a grave injustice. So I, I, my, my salaam, and I salute those parents out there that immediately reached out to their, to their kids and said, look, if I was at any moment a parent that said, Asad described yesterday, then please accept my apology. And the thing is, when it comes to those people that we, all, we, we sometimes you know inadvertently are unjust towards, they simply want us to just identify the wound, that there is a wound there. Sometimes they don't want you to go and heal it just acknowledge the fact that there's a wound there. Don't make me feel like I'm crazy. Don't gaslight me in the sense that, you know what? You have no right to feel this way. I do, there's a wound inside of me. If you don't see the wound, that's your fault. So those individuals who reached out to me and said, you know what, I've begun to heal now because of the fact that we had this very, very uh, uh, uncomfortable, mind you, but very important conversation. There were people who told me that, you know, because of how I grew up, you know, I wanted to actually, you know, harm myself, leave the deen. And the feedback is incredible. And to those of you who haven't had that healing done yet, if you haven't had, let's say it's it's difficult as parents to come to the child and say, they don't have the alfas, they don't have the words, right? And if you look at the way that they were raised in their respective generation and their countries, oh, leaps and bounds they made when they came to raising us. So they're not used to the idea of acknowledging the fact that mistakes were made by me. If so, for me not to come to you and apologize. So maybe, you know, if you're still waiting, maybe you'll never get there. Or maybe those people who caused that inside of you have moved on to the next world, and you're still waiting for your healing process to begin. Let me send you two messages. Number one, from a brother and a son of yours, and maybe somebody, maybe somebody, who might be a spiritual path for all of you, Accept my apology on their behalf Let me say sorry to you If you're somebody right now who has, you know, wounds from when you were a child Let me be that person Let me be that kind of avenue on their behalf to say sorry to you Begin the healing process You want to elevate towards Allah? Let's clip, you know, the anchors Let's begin to elevate towards Allah And the second thing I want to say to those individuals who are waiting for their healing moment and haven't gotten it yet, because they're waiting for someone to come and acknowledge the wound on my soul and in my heart, Imam Ali has a very beautiful hadith that I want to leave with you on on this initial discussion. And that is that Imam Ali says that when your loved ones wrong you and they don't come and apologize, then invent an apology for them. Create an apology for them. Assume that the apology exists inside of them, they just can't bring it to their lips. Now they might apologize in different ways. You're looking for a certain word and certain verbiage, it's not there. Imam Ali says, invent it, just move on. Heal, begin to heal. These are ten nights of healing for all of us. Healing for all of us. You know, we cannot soar ourselves towards Allah when we carry this load. On our backs and on our shoulders You know, I'm sitting right now on a thing called a mimbar, right? A mimbar Mim, noon, bara ra, mimbar Okay? It's called Ismim makan and zaman in Arabic, right? It has the wazan of mif'al Okay? And the root word of that is nabara Nabara means to elevate Bulandi as they say in Urdu Okay, so nabara means to elevate, to to bulan, to kind of, you know, to go up. A mimbar becomes what? A place of elevation. Now either you can take it to be the actual lexical meaning, where I'm three steps higher than the actual crowd is, in terms of my actual location, or you can take it as the spiritual. The discussions that we have on this member should what all of us, myself included, God knows I have so much healing to do, we together now, let's travel together, we elevate towards God. To elevate towards God, you ever see those hot air balloons, where did they take off? You cut the ropes that are blocking them and you begin to elevate. And that's all I was trying to do yesterday. It's a lot of pain and and you know it it, it I, I it, you know I'm reading these messages and believe me I read everything that comes my way either through my family or, me, or to me directly I may not respond to some of you and, and you know that's only because you know my phone is blowing up but it's it was just incredible and part of me felt so content that there's healing happening a part of me honestly was very emotional because there is so much suffering in our community So much silent suffering that's deep-rooted. Sometimes, you know, when a person actually acknowledges the deep-rooted wound, we forget about that wound and we end up actually hearing an apology that we never thought we needed. Oh. And that's all the gift of the Adha of Abba Abdullah al-Husain. These are days of reform, revolution, healing. These are days where we have to now come towards Allah. We can't do with our baggage. Let's address it one by one. And so yes, these are uncomfortable conversations, but maybe it's high time that we kind of leave our comfort zone and enter a discomfort and a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. Another one that has to happen is tonight. Again, all in the attempt for us to heal, heal as families, heal as individuals, heal as servants of God. All in the attempt that this justice now inside of me is absorbed by my spirituality. It's not just always about doing the right thing and making sure that everyone's okay. No, it has to now manifest itself in my worship, in the way I speak to others. In my connection and my subservience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it has to. And so tonight, if last night we talked about the children, tonight we speak about women. Because throughout history, two of the main groups that have always been the victim of injustice and oppression and continue to be those victims are two groups the children and women, and there's a lot to say tonight. And I know that some of you have already mentioned to me that please make sure you're balanced. If you're gonna talk about the oppression that men do on women tonight, make sure you mention the oppression that women do on men tonight. And it's funny how, when we speak about responsibilities, we automatically assume that the rights also have to be spoken about. If I sit there and I talk about a husband and the responsibilities that he has on his wife, he's waiting and waiting and waiting, let's say it's been 45 minutes, I said, where is the talk about the rights that she has or I have over her, meaning her responsibilities, and you'll wait a long time tonight, and you're not gonna hear it, I'm sorry. Because they're not, dependent on each other. I don't need to talk about responsibilities and talk about rights at the exact same time. Nor, nor me as a husband, do I need to fulfill my responsibilities only when my rights are met. I'm sorry, they're independent of each other. The second point I wanna make is that we talk about balance, the reality is that for decades and decades and decades in our books, in our seminars, in our conferences, on the pulpits, in various khutbahs and sermons, we've heard enough about the evil dimension of a woman. We've heard enough about the fact that she's a musibah and she's a fitna and a test. We've heard enough of speakers, sometimes, I'm sorry, on this member that talk about the fact that, you know, you'll never please the woman. She's not to be trusted, never ask for her advice. Keep her in the home, don't give her too much freedom. If, there's, if there is a moment where a marriage is in trouble, it's all on the woman. If the children are misbehaving, the mother is wrong. I'm sorry, the imbalance is that for decades we've heard all that. To the point where some women today, looking at me right now, believe that in Islam I have zero value as a woman. And if a man, you know, if a man domestically abuses me, if a man just wakes up and uh, wakes up and walks out the door, if a man sits there and body shames me, verbally abuses me, I have to sit there and take it because the deemed Islam has given him the rights, and has asked me to become zalil. And a, a Masluma inside of my own house, inside of my own haven now, in my own sanctity. You know, sometimes I think since mid-March now, we've been in a quarantine, right? We've been locked down since mid-March, inside of the homes. Very limited, limited. Now, you know, we're kind of you know coming out of our homes. But the first little while we were home. We were home. And if you have a beautiful family, you loved it, you enjoyed it, right? board game nights and you know, Jamaat Namaz, Mashallah, and discussions and dinners together, it was beautiful. I sometimes just think about that wife that had a husband that would domestically abuse her. He was a Fir'aun inside the house. How are her and her children surviving in a 24 hour pandemic situation? With no one to even ask, are you okay? So if you're waiting for me to talk about the rights, I'm sorry. You're not, you're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear it. And I speak to myself, I'm a father and a husband, and God knows I need as much help as anyone else does. But tonight, it's about high time that our women understand that if you're being mistreated inside of your home, if your husband right now has extracurricular activities outside the home, if your husband sits there and, and, and lays a finger on you, you don't need to deal with that under the umbrella of the, of the dean. You don't. And you know, I'm not gonna speak from the heart, I'm gonna speak from Islamic texts tonight. It has to be said. And, and you know, everybody has their perspective, right? Everyone has their perspective. You and, you and four of your friends glime, uh, drive up to this lookout point where you see the entire city, right? From the, from, from the top of the mountain. Beautiful, beautiful scene. Beautiful imagery, right? And as many people as there are looking out to the city, there's that many different things they see. Everyone has their own perspective. Where I see it and why I see it, just based on my conversations, based on the way I see things, based on, for example, my classes or my seminars, right? The ones that are always trying to reach God the quickest are the women, and the ones that are continue to be oppressed are the women Not everybody, there are some of you who are very, very happy amazing, amazing men inside of your homes, but not everybody Not everybody So let's, let's go slow tonight, let's establish a few things in the beginning The first thing that I want all of us to understand Is from the Quran, okay? Surah Rum is the 30th chapter of the Quran. Surah Rum. And I ask you, if you can at home, if you have your devices handy, follow along with me. There are six verses in Surah Rum, verses 20 to 25, okay, that all begin in the exact same way. Wamin ayatihi, Wamin ayatihi, Wamin ayatihi. From his signs, from amongst his signs, as part of his signs, meaning Allah's signs, of course. Okay? And in these six verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala n- n- you know, names various signs of His. Now some of them are obvious, others are not so much. It's incredible to me the wide range of things He mentions in these six verses, from 20 to 25 of Surah Room. Okay? So in the beginning of this very, very hassas, sensitive discussion, let's come to the Quran first. The words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first thing that he mentions in verse number 20 is. Okay, let's follow me very carefully. Verse number 20 says that from my signs is I have created you, the insan, from dirt. The creation of the insan is the first sign of Allah. That's obvious, right? A monumental sign, a historic sign. Let's jump two verses down to verse number 22 Okay? If my AV guys can catch up with me Verse number 22, not 21, 22 22 again says wa, min samawati wal wa, wa al-wanikum. Allahu Akbar From his signs, from his signs is what? The creation of the heavens and the earth And what? And the various languages and colors in this universe The first one in number 20 is the creation of the human being The best creation of Allah He's describing the process of the creation of the insan Which of course is, you know, one of his most proudest moments as a khalik, Allah It's a historical discussion And then two verses down, number 22, he talks about the heavens and the earth talks about as many languages as there are in this universe as many colors as there are black and white and brown and yellow all of them that we for some reason use to be racist on, to judge on, to look down on Allah says what? If you see somebody beside you who's not the same color as you know that that's a sign of mine not a reason for you to be racist I mean these are two monumental verses the creation of the Khalifa of Allah The creation of the heavens and the earth. Sandwiched in between these two amazing verses, he says that from my signs, from my signs is that I created for you your spouse. Number 21, the wedding card verse. Where is the creation of the, of, of, of the insan? Where is the creation of the heavens and the earth and all the various cultures and, 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 and languages? And where is the creation of my wife to me? <laughs> it's like he's, he's reminding us the same creator that created this vast earth and vast universe is the same creator that brought you your wife. In the process now, he goes on, talks about lightning, talks about sleep, talks about all those things I won't go down that route, you can read for yourself It's amazing now, he reminds us now, all these various things that maybe we take for granted Are actually a sign of mine, a sign of mine Included in that sandwich between the monumental creation of of the insan And the amazing creation of the heavens and the earth Is the creation of the spouse in the process telling us this institution of marriage is very near and dear to me, it's highly respected. If it's near and dear to me, if it's dignified in the eyes of Allah, if it's respected in the eyes of Allah, then us, meaning me and my wife, you and your wife, you and your spouse, have to enter this institution equally dignified and respected for each other and do your level best to uphold and strengthen that institution. But the only way that we're gonna do that, or the only way we're gonna fight for the marriage is if we believe in that institution. Right? Look, I'll give you very simple examples, okay? Very simple examples. You get hired for a job. 10 days into the job, it turns out to be just a mess. Your, 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 your boss doesn't really, you know, not a really good guy, your coworkers are stressing you out, the, you know, the, the commute is too far, the hours are weird. 10 days in, what do you do? You quit. Don't fight for your job, you quit. But 20 years into the same company now, and you've kind of, you know, you've gotten some seniority, right? You have a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, you have good benefits, a good pay, you know, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And they decide, let's say, for example, to change the entire structure of the company. You keep your job, you keep your seniority, you have a different manager, the office now is downtown, so a different commute. The hours are a little bit different, but because you, you what? Because you actually believe in the company, and you've attached yourself to the job, you'll fight through the commute and fight through the new manager and fight through the new hours. As that relationship that you have with whatever you have in front of you is near and dear to you, you'll pour everything you have into it, right? Your siblings are very near and dear to you. My siblings are very near and dear to me. If for some reason there's squabbles, there's there's disagreements, it's bound to happen, right? Four different siblings, four different human beings. It's bound to happen. The way I see things is not the way that they see things, okay. But because they're near and dear to me, I'm gonna work very hard, very hard, and invest in that relationship. So even if me and my brothers or me and my sister go, you know, mano a mano, we don't see eye to eye, it doesn't mean that I unsister her or I, I, I unbrother her or I quit from the siblings. No. It's very near and dear to me. And the higher the relationship goes, the more you fight for that relationship. And Allah is saying that one of the highest forms of any relationship from my signs is marriage. Fight for it, fight for that marriage. You wake up one day and you have, you know, you've you're under a lot of stress, then fight yourself. Don't walk into the marriage one foot out, one foot in. And the moment things get a little bit difficult, you're out. Because the reality is that the way that Allah has now constructed this This institution of marriage, there's a hierarchy And one that I'm not going to sugarcoat tonight, I'm not I'll come very real at you guys, right? The wali, the leader, the captain of the team inside of the family is the father Is the husband, is the man He is the leader of the house Okay, both of you are on the exact same team The exact same team, you're not on opposite teams, right? You're not on opposite teams, you're on the exact same team But the captain of that team is the man the driver of the car is the man the wali of that of that of that family is the man and we've heard that since 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 i could you know since i could remember the problem is the second half of that equation sometimes either is not mentioned or goes un, you know goes forgotten and what is that second equation how to lead how to lead how to lead the captain of a team, right? I'll give you a sports analogy, sorry, if you're not a sports person, right? You are in a playoff series, okay? Let's say, for example, you're in the finals. It's a a, a seven game series. Your team is down 3-0, meaning one more loss and you've been swept and you lose the championship. And you're the captain of the team. Do you call and say, look, guys, I'm not showing up today, I'm done, you know, there's no way too much stress, we're gonna be swept, it's embarrassing, I'm gonna not show up, I'm going on vacation. I'm gonna start my vacation early, you guys go ahead and do your best. Does the captain at that moment, when things become very difficult, leave? No. What does he do? He holds a a player-only meeting, closes the door, and what does he do? Because I'm as the captain now. Things aren't the best right now, but you know what? Let's buck up. Let's come together. Let's rely on each other, and let's begin to fight the best we can to at least uphold our dignity, right? The captain of an army, of a losing army, never says, you know what, guys? On your own, I'm going to leave. In the middle of a war, the the captain never leaves his army. ever leaves his army if the if the soldiers if the soldiers all fall the captain falls with the army that's the sign of a good army that's a sign of a good captain the wali of the house of the marriage is the man is the husband and we easily as men accept that yeah I'm the captain I'm the wali do you hear that right now are you listening Are you listening? He said, he said himself, I'm the leader, you are the leader, I'm the leader, no doubt about it But let's understand how to lead Because there are some husbands that the moment things get a little bit easy, a little bit difficult She wakes up, she looks over to her bed and he's gone, where is he gone? I don't know Milana, he's gone For three days I have no idea where he went And when I call him, said, buddy where are you? Your family, your kids are waiting for you I just needed a break, I just needed a break Milana, really? As the captain of the team, you just left the, in the middle of a war now, you left your army without leadership because you needed a break? What if she woke up and said, I need a break. Good luck to you. What happens then? So we need to understand how to lead, how to lead. Because one way that is not the way that you lead is the iron fist. These are not your slaves. You didn't marry a housekeeper. You didn't marry a chef. You married a life partner. You married somebody that Imam Ali describes Sayyidina Fatima as the ultimate Hamsafar, journey person, travel companion on the road to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're easily accepting the walight and the leadership, we don't understand the responsibility that comes with it. Now, how do I know what to do? Let's go very slow. Surah Maida, verse number 55. I think, Surah Al-Maida, verse 55, Five, 55. The famous verse of Wilaya. The famous verse of the ring of Imam Ali in Ruku. Okay, look at the Arabic construction of this verse. Okay, innama Waliyakum Allah, your wali, your wali, your guardian is Allah and the Prophet Very famous verse Your wali Your wali is Allah and the Prophet And the one who prays and gives zakat While he's in ruku While he's in ruku The instance of the Arabic walayat in this verse Maybe it's right beneath me right now Is one There's one instance of innama waliyakum Allah, Meaning Allah does not separate The waliat of his from the wilayat of the Prophet The fact that wa, la, exists once in the Arabic inside the eye tells me that wilayat should be looked at as a vertical plane Allah is the only wali in this universe, the only guardian And anyone else who has a lower version of wilayat must what? Abide by that vertical plane towards Allah Meaning if you have individuals that you have wilayat over it must be on the same plane as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala For example Okay, Imam Ali is our Mawla The waliyyat that he has over those who accept him as a Mawla Has to be in tune with the waliyyat that Allah has over him Okay, letter number 45 Letter number 45 of al-Balagha Uthman ibn Hunef was a governor of Imam Ali's uh, government And he was invited to a lavish dinner By rich, stuck up people <laughs> Stuck up people All to show off their wealth, okay And you know, obviously you invite the governor, right? To show who you know. So Imam Ali's governor shows up at this lavish dinner. Imam Ali finds out, writes him a long letter. Sometimes the the blessing and the curse both is that you are a governor of Imam Ali. The blessing is that, mashallah, you're the governor of Imam Ali. The blessing is, or, or, or the difficulty is that I'm the governor of Imam Ali. He holds me at a very high standard. In that letter he says to Uthman ibn Hunayf, you have a Mawla above you, meaning me And I have a Mawla above me, meaning Allah A successful Mawla is one that continues that wilayat from Allah through me to you Uthman As husbands, we have the wilayat, we do, absolutely only be one driver, with a the driver But that light has to travel from the peak of Allah Allah through me onto my wife Now how does Allah lead us? Tell me how Allah leads you Tell me how Allah guards you Through what? Through his Rahmaniyat and his Rahimiyat Ten times a day He says Surah Alhamd in your Salat Ten times a day Surah Alhamd in that is Bismillahir rahmanir rahman rahim Rabbil Alameen ar-Rahman rahim he tells you now 10 times 20 times a day a day for the rest of your life ar-Rahman ar-Rahim ar-Rahman ar-Rahim telling you that look the way that I lead you is through my through my love through my mercy through my forgiveness that's me as your wali if we want to be successful in our wilayat, As husbands, we have to what? We have to adopt the seerah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And attach ourselves to the vertical plane of wilayat That says, if Allah is my wali and I am their wali I must be a symbolic representation of that wilayat of Allah for my wife If I expect Allah to look over my fault and forgive me then I should also do the same thing for her If I expect Allah to always be there for me In my darkest hour Then I should be there for my wife In her darkest hour And so on and so on and so forth If I don't expect dhulm from Allah Injustice from Allah Then I shouldn't make it So that my wife expects me To do injustice to me No Because what we don't understand is that a wife wants to In her innate disposition, she wants to be led by her husband She does Provided he doesn't lead us off the cliff He leads us up the mountain If you can convince, if I can convince my wife That we're going up the mountain towards something Towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then she will happily strap herself in the passenger side window Say, here's the keys, you drive I will go wherever you go with me We have to convince ourselves of that Right? Don't you know I don't want to hear the idea that she doesn't listen to me. For what though? Are you showing her that I'm worthy of being led? Are you taking the kids? Are you waking her up for fajr? Remember, we as men, right? You are in charge. You are responsible to protect yourself and your family from the fire. That's you, meaning us, the the wali. Allow her the opportunity to see you as an avenue towards God, not as a uh, distraction towards God. You know, I, I, I get phone calls sometimes, and now in this, you know, online world, and, and, you know, I get phone calls from all over the world. From wives who tell me their stories, heartbreaking stories. <coughs> Tells me about the, uh, the amount of domestic abuse she has gone through. Talks about the fact that he never buys me anything, he never gives me any money, he never even for a moment now works on our spirituality. And believe me, I don't want to lower the wife to say all she wants is diamonds and pearls. I've learned enough in the past couple of years to know that these women wanna to soar towards Allah. Sometimes, literally, what a wife does is that she sits there and she sacrifices herself just so we as husbands can feel better about ourselves. That's how nazuk, and that's how, uh, you know, uh, weak, I'm sorry to say, fragile is a better word, our masculinity is. So if they have dreams of their MBA, if they have dreams of their PhD, if they have dreams of their own business, if they have dreams of, let's say, for example, starting this and and, and, and doing this, and they know that it might interfere with your dream as a husband, she'll say, it's okay, you know, I'll hold the fort down, you go ahead. We have to give our wives a reason to follow us. And simply saying, I'm the man in the house is not enough of a reason. Because when you look at Surah Baqarah Verse 157, I believe Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala describes what a husband and a wife are for each other And a very, you know, it's a very lengthy verse right now underneath me possibly but there's one little small tukra, one little small part that I really want to focus on a little bit and I'll go a little bit over time there's a lot to say and I'm already halfway through my, my speech, right? Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala actually refers to each other as libas in this verse, clothing Okay hunna lakum wa antum you are she is clothing for you you are clothing for her Okay it's a very beautiful symbolic use of clothing and it's up and down of course the du'as of course Imam Siraj for example says walbisni zinatal muttaqin clothe me with the beauty of taqwa clothe me now why clothing Three main points of clothing. What does clothing do? Clothing. Think about our clothing right now, okay? Clothing has three main purposes. The first thing that it does, it protects us, right? In the winter times, we wear, you know, our uh, sweaters and our winter jackets and our toques and our, and our gloves, right, to protect us from the cold. On rainy days, we wear our, our, our winter boots, right? So clothing protects us. The second thing it does, it covers our dignity. It covers our dignity. We don't walk around, you know, unless we're properly covered. The third thing that it does, it beautifies us. It makes us feel beautiful. We go to the store and we find something that, 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 that we like, the fitting is great, the price is great, the color is great, everything is great. You feel good about yourself. You leave the house now, check the mirror, everything is all matching, everything's all pinned up, beautiful, great. You, lo- you feel good about yourself. You have self-respect when you leave the house. You actually feel like, you know what, I think I look good in this. That's why I paid that much money for it. That's what clothing does. Okay, Allah says that a husband for a wife Should also do, do, do these three things Protect her, dignify her, beautify her Meaning what? Make her feel like she's protected Make her feel like, you know, no matter what happens If we, if we as a family are going down the hill towards a hellfire I have enough confidence in my husband To know he'll grab us And avoid us from the pits of the hellfire If that means that you set your alarm Three alarms in a room And you wake up for fajr you wake up your wife Then so be it If that means when it comes time for salat You drop everything And you announce salat And you play the adhan Not your wife You, me As the, as, as the man inside the house I want the walayat, right? I want that, you know I want that on am the man Yeah, it's yours It comes with responsibility So protect them Protect them from all the discomforts in this world Protect them from the hereafter as well Number two Dignify your woman Dignify your wife. Make her feel like she has some self-respect. Giving her bruises on her face does not give her disres- does not make her feel like she's respected. You know, everyone can, you know, so much to say. There's there's anger, I get it. I'm not talking about the idea of, you know, unicorns and rose petals. No, there's gonna be disagreement. There's gonna be flat out arguments. Absolutely, for sure. But in Islam, there's a beautiful discussion on the existence of anger and the expression of anger, where Islam accepts the fact that the, the, the fact of the existence of anger doesn't give us free reign on the emotion or the expression of the anger. Just because she does something to upset me as a husband doesn't mean I have the right to use obscene language for her. To the point where the walls shake, everyone in the house, including her mother-in-law, hears you, ream her out. Like, you want, like you're talking to your five-year-old daughter. She deserves better than that. As I said yesterday, you wanna be angry with her? She does something to upset you? Absolutely, she's not perfect. There's bound to, have, there's bound to be arguments. But be dignified, my man. Maintain her self-respect. Your anger doesn't give you the right to let your tongue go loose and use all sorts of names for her and strip her of her dignity. She's a lebas for you. That lebas is dignity for you. It covers your dignity. You must cover her dignity. And the third one is make her feel beautiful. Make her feel like your eyes are only for her. Don't make her feel like she has to share you with another woman. It's gotten to the point now where, you know, I get phone calls and... You know, they 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 passingly tell me, yeah, she's, he's with another woman. You know, and in, in the haram way. I know that you know he's with her a few times a week. But, you know, what can I do? You know, I mean, you know, I have to I have to protect my family. You know, the, like like she had she, she had to go through that conversation by herself, right? That my husband doesn't see me as enough. Okay, I'm not beautiful enough. He doesn't want to be around me. Obviously, there's a gaping hole that I can't fulfill, so he's going outside looking for someone to fill those holes, right? For a woman and a wife to feel insuff- uh, you know uh, deficient for her, hu- her husband strips her of her beauty, and they talk and, and and they talk about like it's second nature. I'm like he he you know he has someone else on the side. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been going on for years, man. That's not, that's not a big deal. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've accepted that. How can you accept that? How can you accept the fact that, you know, my husband needs something more than me? Like, there, you know, that has an immense impact on your self-worth and self-value. The guy I left my entire world for, sacrificing everything for, I'm not enough for all of a sudden. And part of the problem is, and, and, and if, if, if I may, part of the problem is, that we as men, we have spoiled our eyes We spoiled our eyes The Qur'an now in a hukam in al Mu'minun, I believe Talks about the idea The first command of the hijab of the man is the eyes now, I'm not comparing hijabs tonight, I really am not But the idea that the man has to control his eyes, okay? And as much as sometimes other people may not understand it, for us to control our gaze is very hard for men. For us to not look at something we shouldn't be looking at is very hard for us, okay? I'm not comparing how difficult it is for a woman, I'm not. I'm saying for, as a man, straight up, it's hard to not look at certain things, okay? And in today's media, in today's streaming devices, in today's episodes and TV shows, there's all sorts of women in those shows that live in a fictitious world. And we're watching those shows, and we're binge watching those shows, and day in and day out, we're watching these women that aren't real. I'm sorry, man. Through filters, and through surgery, and through this and that, that's how they look. And we live in that fictitious world. And we're staring at those women in this fictitious world. And we actually believe that that's how a woman should look like. When that fictitious, when that world of fiction turns off, and we enter reality, my wife is there beside me. And because I've spoiled those eyes, and I expect everyone around me to look like that woman that's not even real to begin with, everything pales in comparison. Which means what? Let's control our eyes. Let's be a little bit real. That's damaging our marriages. And here she is doing her level best to be beautiful for you, for me, in her character, in everything. And we announce with our actions and with our late nights and with our quote-unquote trips that you're not enough for me. You're not beautiful enough for me. How she can sit there and accept that is a sacrifice of a woman. She will sacrifice everything for her family if she if she has aspirations for a company and a business and a masters and a phd and to go here to go that all that is put aside let me first make sure that my kids are okay my husband is okay and then me myself comes 37 on the list and then we complain to her that you have let yourself go and what happened to you? How can she even think about self-care and self-love when she has to carry your ego and my ego on her back and make sure that, you know, she coddles me and coddles the kids and make sure that all of this, you know, all this chaos, I have to make sure that I, I carry. When she wasn't programmed to carry that kind of burden. So when you look at Surah Mujadila, two more points on the Messiah. You look at Surah Mujadila, very interesting, interesting story. And the opening verse of Surah Mujadila is about, you know, the 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 nuzul or the story of the revelation of this of this verse of of of, of the opening uh, uh, a few verses of this surah are incredible. The story is so fitting, and you know, to me it was eye-opening for me. The story is that there is a woman called Khawla Khawla Lived in of course in Arabia Married to Os ibn Samat Okay Married for several years They have children Okay Aus comes home one day This is all pre-Islam Comes home one day angry Okay angry Right And looks at his wife And then you know that anger now reminds her that You know what she's let herself go And he does something that's called zihar in the pre-Islamic Arabic culture. She look, he looks at her, she, he gets upset at the fact that she doesn't look like she used to work you look in the first few years of marriage. And so he does what? He divorces her by saying a statement to her that you now look like my mother to me. In the same way I can't be with my mother, I can't be with you. So I divorce you. It's called Zihad. It was a pre-Islamic Arabian custom that was, you know, very well known. And if the man wakes, you know, and, and there's a Sigha now to recite, and he recites that one line out of anger, no witnesses, nobody. And from that day forward, you know, they're divorced. Now that divorce is irreversible, I can never be with you, you can never be with me. She, she's shocked. She, she doesn't understand. He comes home, as a blazing fire and divorce, that's it She goes to the prophet of Allah This is, this is in Medina the, hukam, you know, the the sharia is not common and perfect yet And she what? And she complains to him Mujadala is a pleading woman, a complaining woman And she comes to the prophet and says this is what happened My, my husband just did zihar with me He looked at me and says you're like, you're, you're like my mother to me Look at yourself You know what? I'm out, divorce she said, is this, is this real? Like, am I now divorced? If I'm divorced, I have nothing. I mean, my kids will starve. If, 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 if they stay with him, they'll be ruined. Before the prophet could say a single word to her, she comes in pleading, complaining, in tears, devastated. My husband body shamed me in today's lingo and divorced me on the spot. Comes to the prophet complaining. Before the Prophet could utter a single word of a response Jibreel comes down and reveals the first four verses Of Surah Mujadila to the Prophet of Allah Now if you can ask my AV guys to do their magic And just show the first verse underneath me right now Look at the wording of the verse The very first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Says to the Prophet of Allah Let her know that Allah has heard her Qadas sami Allahu. Allah has heard her. In fact, look at the Arabic. If it's still on the screen, there's three times in the Arabic that Allah uses sami, sami, sami. I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing. Such a beautiful, beautiful lesson for us that sometimes half the problem is solved just by listening to your wife. Let her get her baras out, man. Let her get all of her stuff out. If she doesn't talk to you, she'll talk to others. He says, Qad Qadas sami Allah. I hear. What does he hear? Uh, you, uh, I hear her complain to you about her husband. I hear her plead. I hear, I also hear what Tashtaki il Allah, her complaint towards Allah. I mean, I understand what she's saying. And from that moment on now, you know, this idea of zihar was banned in Arabia. You can't just walk in, body shame your wife, and divorce her and say, okay, now you're free. Because later on in the verses, Allah says, what this man did, what Aus did, was munkar, it was evil. And anyone who does that has to pay a fine, a kafara. So the Prophet now said, look, you know, God hears your plead. This is not the way you treat a woman. You can't expect her to do a little self-care and self-love when she's trying to carry the entire house. And that's why when you look at the hadith of Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq alayhi salatu wa Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad He says, the higher you travel towards Allah, the kinder you are to your wife The higher you travel towards Allah, the kinder you are to your wife Let's give examples and then Masaib inshallah, I've said enough tonight If the Prophet of Allah and his words for Bibi Khatija aren't enough for us The way he spoke about his wife, I tell you For one year he cried for that woman What didn't she do for him? He would talk about her That when nobody was there, my Khatija was there When nobody had supported me, she she, she supported me When nobody had anything to give to me My Khatija gave me everything He would cry and cry and cry And he would talk about her even after she was gone To the point where the other wives were annoyed as many of you know and the words he would use were loving, endearing words that would put Shakespeare to shame. That's a prophet that thinks that women are a mosiba, a fitna, that they shouldn't be trusted, they should be caged in their homes. Don't give them too much, don't, don't, don't ask them for advice. You know, their, their, their worship is deficient, their insight is deficient, their existence is deficient. Is that, is, is that what we get from the prophet's words about Bibi Khatija? If, if if that's too far high, the Prophet of Allah, let's come to some great scholars. Alama Tabatabai, Imam Khomeini, rahmatullah Himah, both of them. Alama Tabatabai, Sahib al tafsir al-Mizan, one of if not the best and most most in-depth tafsir of our contemporary world today, a highly respected alim, and of course Imam Khomeini. One brought a revolution with his tafsir, one brought a revolution inside of Iran. Endeared, revered, respected by all, including his own enemies. And both of them, when you ask them about their success, quote-unquote, or what they've achieved in this world, both of them attribute their wives as one of the main causes. Alama says that we, had a, we, we, we lived a very difficult life and near the ending of my life, when you know when I began tafsir al-Mizan, 20 volumes, day in and day out, night, all night long, he would sit there, read, and research and write and read and research and write. And my wife would come and place a small cup of tea at my and beside me. And if it got cold, because like I couldn't see she'd go back, warm it up, put it back there. Just make sure that I give you all the tools to do what she wants. Right? Alama's daughter would talk about the fact That they would sit and laugh together Allama tabatabai Rahmatullah alayhi Would sit there and laugh together There would be such an amazing Amazing energy inside the home Because of my, my father and, and his wife He loved his wife very much Who? Allama tabatabai rahmatullahi alayhi On every single cover Of every single one of his books Is his name, his name, his name But in his heart is his wife's name that I could not have achieved this tafsir without my wife. She'll go anonymous in this world, not in the eyes of Allah, but I won't. And that's why sometimes, you know, a woman who is, you know, who sits there and supports her husband to get to great height spiritually is anonymous, no doubt. Everyone forgets about the role of the wife in pushing the man towards Allah, but you know who doesn't? Allah and who shouldn't is the husband. Imam Khomeini, anyone know Imam Khomeini's wife's name? You know his sons, his sons, Ahmed Mustafa, you know his grandson Tarei Hassan? His wife. He talks about his wife. She actually says that never, even when he was angry with something I did, he never disrespected me. He never thought sweeping the floor, washing the dishes, cooking the meals was beneath him or was my job. Who Imam Khomeini, the father of one of the greatest revolutions of our time? All these images of his stern face, right? We wanna follow him, he's our Rahbar, he's our leader, right? We go out and we protest in his name, that's great, but do we follow this aspect as well? Are we kind with our wives? Do we help out inside the homes? Do we sit there and do we make sure that he didn't ask her for a glass of water? Now she would bring it, of course, out of love, but it wouldn't be an expectation of his. These are people at the highest realm inside of an infallible. He's a, he's a faqih, he's an arif, he's a falsuf Climbing the ladder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala At the same time now looking at his, at his wife With the eyes of love and compassion The higher you go on the realm of spirituality The kinder you are to your wife So if you are somebody right now Who has this issue with the wife For some reason she brings out the worst in me Check your spirituality The Amount of zulm and oppression being done On our sisters inside the homes Right, and, and, and you know it's, it's everything, it's just this, 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 un, it's this overlying cloud You know, they always get the smallest hall inside the, the mosque, they're the ones that have the car seats They're the ones that have the, the baby bags They're the ones that have all these snacks, everything And yet the hall is either equal the size Which is wrong, I'm sorry, or a third of the size Right, men just Bring themselves, that's it They have to bring all this furniture with them And the hall, their hall, the ladies hall Is either the same size, it should be bigger, I'm sorry Or it's a quarter the size Right, now I'm really pushing it, right guys? Now, okay, look, we got you with the wife But come on, don't touch the halls, man (laughs) It's true It's just this overall idea that just push the woman down Push the woman down When in reality, if you allow her to be beside you She can help you elevate towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala she can be your Khadija. she can be your Fatima, she can be your Zainab That takes your mission and makes sure that every corner of the globe says Ya Hussein. Without Zainab, this mission of Imam Hussein is incomplete It's a woman who took this mission From Kalba to Kufa, Kufa to Sham Sham all the way back to Medina It was a woman A lot of sacrifice A lot of sacrifice on the plains of Karbala Some harsh sacrifices on the plains of Karbala It's one thing where you sacrifice your own children It's one thing where you sacrifice your own siblings It's one thing where you sacrifice the children of your siblings After Imam Hasan wasalam left this world Imam Hussein helped raise his boys And his sons and his children He had a hand in raising Qasim He had a hand in raising Abdullah Four of Imam Mustafa's children Were there on the, on, on the day of Ashura Four of them There were the kids There were the sons of Imam Mujtaba That were younger than Janabi Qasim Jamal Qasim had a rutba and a and a maqam and a level all to himself, no doubt. But Imam Hassan's sacrifice should be, you know, appreciated and mentioned in these days of Azhar. He has an 11-year-old son named Abdullah, Imam Mustaba Qasim was 13. And his story sometimes is not read on the member But it's well known This 11-year-old had so much love for his his chacha, His uncle, Imam Hussain The story says, on the day of Ashura When the enemies now have surrounded Have surrounded Imam Hussain And Abdullah now is seeing from the tent That he sees that a sword now Is being raised to hurt his uncle He goes running He's a child, he's 11 years old He goes running into This circle of the enemies of Imam Hussain and he begins, he's a child. He begins now to sit there and cover his uncle Hussein to the point where the sword comes down and chops off his arm, his, his hand. And now he screams in pain Cha cha Hussein, Chacha Hussein, they cut off my arm. Imam Hussein grabbed him, they say, and, and held him close, held him close. At that moment, Umar bin Sas Hurmala, fire your arrow. The arrow from back then came with such force, it pierced the chest of the son of Imam Mushtaba, the younger brother of Janabi Qasim These sacrifices are not easy What Imam Hussein went through was not easy Shabi Ashur They say that Imam Hussein was busy in worship Sheikh Abbas Khomeini writes that after a while the companions all gathered and everyone began to worship, worship, Allah on the night before the Day of Ashura, like the buzzing of bees. He would say in his book Nafusul mahmoun the buzzing of bees. He said that Imam Hussain was sitting in his tent and you know in the middle of the night before the Day of Ashura, and in his peripheral, in his peripheral, now he can see in his, in his side that Qasim is there beside. You know, sometimes we have love for our own children But sometimes the children of our siblings We have this special place in our heart for them This was Hassan's son, Qasim 13 years old He says, Qasim, it's the middle of the night Go get some rest I mean, what's, He says, Chacha, you have a list You have a list of the shohada of the day of Ashura Yes, I do Chacha, am I on that list or not? Is my name on that list or not? What is Imam Hassan supposed, supposed, supposed to say to him? He ignores the question, he goes on to worshiping Allah. Chacha, tell me three times, am I on that list? Am I on that list? He turns to Qasim and says, Qasim, you ask me about you? My six month old Ali Yisgar is on that list. On the day of Ashura, Jamil Qasim comes to Imam Hussain Give me ijazat, give me permission what was, what was customary then was that Anybody who was getting ready for battle Will go to Abu al-Fazl To get, them, get themselves armed and ready And He would send them into the Maidan of Karbala And Imam Hussein would bring them back As a shaheed Salam qasim goes to Fasl, Abbas and now Abbas t- tries to get this 13 year old ready for war but nothing would fit Qasim. They tried the armor, they wouldn't fit Qasim. They tried the helmet, it wouldn't fit Qasim. Every sword he couldn't lift. lift, he was 13 years old. 13 years old. The armor couldn't fit. The shoes were tied on him. They chose a, a sword that he could lift. But what about the helmet? Abbas a, a now grabs a green cloth and begins now to wrap an amama on the head of Jabi Qasim just so the helmet can fit. He mounts him on the horse, lifts him up and mounts him on the horse, and he enters the Maidan of Karbala. i Qasim ibn al-Hasan ibn Ali. I'm the grandson of Amir al-Mu'manin. I'm the son of Hassan. He begins to fight like a Bani Hashim does. His feet could barely reach the saddles of the horse. He's riding in, riding in. There comes a moment now where he falls from the horse. Alaykum salam, ya abadah. When Imam Hussein says, hears, ya yeah, amma adriqni, oh cha help me, help me. He goes roaring inside the Medan of Karbala. Abu fazl roars inside with him. The enemy sees that Hussein and Abbas are coming towards the Medan of Karbala with fierce, with fierceness. They think they're going to come and do what? and kill us. So they begin now to, to run away. There's chaos now. There's horses on this side of Qasim that went towards the left. Horses from the left that went towards the right. Uh, absolute chaos. The khak of Karbala in the air. Aina aina Qasim. Aina, aina Qasim. I don't see Qasim. The dust settles on the ground now is Qasim. Inna lillahi ilayhi rajun. Imam Hussain lays out his abba, picks up the body. Ali Qasim goes back to the Khayma Zainab give me purse for my Qasim. Say Alam al-mulawina dhulumu ayyuhal qalbi yanqrib ya Hussein ya Hussein